Once again, thank you for being here. I don't know what Brett's doing back there. He's just hanging out. What's going on, man? Let's hear for Brett. He's the wildest of the wild stallions. He's the wild card of the bunch. <laughs> so great. It's nice. Once again, thank you for being here today. See, all this stuff makes it really tough for our sound guys. Like, what is the sermon actually going to start here? What am I supposed to record? Anyway, yes, thank you for being here today. We're actually getting started. So glad that you're with us. I don't know about you, but um, I'm going through something personal right now. I just feel like after listening to Real Deal, a.k.a. Sean Howitt, after listening to his case for small groups, I feel like I got to connect. So you know what? I'm an introvert by nature, but I feel like I can't argue with the logic. I'm going to a small group this week, right? Yeah. You don't need to applaud. It's okay. It's just a big step I'm making in my life. But uh, yeah, he makes a good point. I'm going to be there. Hope to see you there. Hope to have you connect with the small group with us. If you would take a look at the back of your bulletin. You can get a sense of where we're going with this series that we're in. Last week, I gave you a whole bunch of of information about why we're doing this and where we're going. And one thing that I wanted to highlight here on the back of your bulletin, did you see this, the bottom section? Starting October 7th, we are going to dedicate four, count them, four, four Sundays to talking about money. All right, all right. Now, listen, personally, I don't like talking about money, but I know it's a real crowd pleaser. I know that people love, we just love being told how to handle our finances, right? We love that. Please tell us more about that. So I'm going to give in by popular demand. I'm going to spend four weeks talking about money, okay? No, but seriously, Scripture does have so much to tell us about how we think about our finances, how we handle our finances. And in reality, this is a major spiritual issue. It's something we all have to deal with. Even those of you who are young, you don't have any money yet, one day you will. It's a big factor in our lives, so we're going to dedicate four weeks to talking about this. Now, I want to give you some options, okay, for those four weeks. If you don't want to hear about money for those four weeks, here's what you can do. Option one, you can just not show up on a Sunday morning. That's one option. Or you can come in, worship, and then leave. Okay, that's another. I won't be offended. That's okay. I get it. I get it. But if you're open to seeing what God has to say about how we should handle our finances then you're invited to be a part of that series, okay? So that's not starting until October, so we've got a few weeks before that happens. But I wanted to give you, listen, you've been warned. I don't want anybody showing up and saying like, hey, you pulled the rug out from underneath of us. This is a whole bait. No, I'm letting you know up front, we're talking about that starting in October. So you've got a few weeks before that happens. Now, we're in the middle of this series that we're calling The False God's of Christianity. And last week we talked about this false God, the God of religion. Those of you here last week, maybe remember we talked about that, this false God that we Christians have created, a God that cares more about the external than the internal, a God that cares about us just going through the motions and saying the words and showing up the event and doing the stuff and really isn't concerned about transformation in the heart. That God doesn't exist. It's not a real God. It's a fiction. The God of Scripture cares about what's going on in the heart and the transformation and what's really happening on a sincere level. Going through the motions without sincerity is not something that God values. We don't get credit for just going through the motions, not with the real God, the God of the Bible. And today we're moving on to the gotcha God, the God that's out to get you, another false God, another idol God that we people have created. I want to tell you a story. Um, Back in the day when I was six years old, I went to first grade, which is something many six-year-olds do. But um, that year I had a teacher who was mean, okay? Just mean. Not strict, was mean. Now, my mom, I try to tell you, oh, she was just kind of harsh. No, she was mean, all right? I was in the class. She was a mean teacher, right? Anybody ever had any mean teachers? Yeah, it's like a common experience. We've all had teachers that just are mean. And what made her mean, listen, she was old. She's probably dead now. She doesn't mind me telling the story. What made her so mean 
What made her mean is not just that she was strict, right? It's not just that she, strict I can deal with. What made her mean, at least, you know, this is a perception of a six-year-old. Here's how I felt. I felt like she was just waiting, waiting for me to make a mistake, waiting for me to mess up, waiting for me to fail so she could pounce. Aha, gotcha, bad, naughty, bad, wrong, bad. That's how I felt. Now, I, I hope. I hope that my perception was off, and maybe it's just, you know, you see the world through the eyes of a six-year-old, but that's how I felt, and it was the most anxiety-ridden year of my life, right? It really was. I've never experienced anxiety like that since. It was tough. I was traumatized. It was a bad experience. Let me tell you a story. I've told you this before. This is how much this impacted me. One day, it was like we had to move our desks in first grade, and so we moved our desks, and as I was moving my desk, it kind of fell over a little bit, and my snack, you had a little snack for the day. It was a chocolate brownie that my mom made, a homemade brownie. This is back when you're allowed to have, like, chocolate in school, which you're not, I don't think you can have that anymore. Anyway, it was a chocolate brownie, and it kind of fell apart. And so snack time happened, and I had this mess, and I didn't have a fork, and I was like, how am I going to eat this? So I'm just picking up these crumbs and kind of eating them, and there's a mess. And people look at me, and they see that I'm a mess, and they kind of laugh. I'm like, well, let's just go with this, right? I don't want to be laughed at. Let's, be, let's make this a bit. Let's make this a thing. And so I kind of played around with it and made a mess, and... Got some laughs. That's how I cope with life. You may have realized that. It's one of my coping mechanisms is humor. And so we did that, and then she caught me. She was waiting and watching and ready to pounce, and she, hey, you made a mess. And she made me stand in front of the class. Look at this mess. She brought in other teachers to come see. Look at how sloppy this boy is. She brought in the principal down from his office. Come, I know. I was six years old. Waiting. That's how I felt. Waiting. Waiting for me to mess up. Now, and there are teachers like that. There are people like that. Have you ever worked for somebody like that? Oh, did you ever have a boss like that? Just waiting for you to mess up, hovering over. You know, it's an entirely different experience. When you work for somebody who wants you to succeed, which just makes sense. Shouldn't your manager, shouldn't the employer want you to? When you're working for someone who believes in you and encourages you and, and wants you to succeed, it's so much different. When you're working for somebody who's just waiting. Ah, two minutes late. Up, uh, you messed up. Up, uh, you didn't file this correctly. Up, uh, you messed up. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. When you work for somebody like that, oh, the anxiety, just that, that weight, it's such a misery. If you, if you, anybody work, you don't have to raise your hand. If you work in a situation like that, time to start looking elsewhere, right? That's just so hurtful to your spirit and so tough to live with and and teachers can be like that, unfortunately. I mean, it's the minority. So many of our teachers are wonderful. Bosses can be like that. Hopefully, that's a minority of bosses, employers, and managers. You know, parents can be like that, too. You know this. And I hope for your sake that you've never had to experience this, but there are mothers and fathers on this planet. You've heard stories. If you never experienced it yourself, you've heard stories. Just the overbearing parent, the overbearing mother, the overbearing father. And it's not just about being strict. It's not just about being a, a disciplinarian. It's that, it's that sense that as you're growing up that you can never be good enough. And that mom and dad, they're always out to get you. They're not on your side, no. They're out to get you. And unfortunately, that's how some people see God. He sits up there as some kind of cosmic referee, right? Like a whistle-happy referee, which is a term I made up, I think. But you know what I mean. A whistle-happy referee, just ready to call out. Violation. Misconduct. Rule-breaking. That got old really fast, didn't it, right? Just be glad this isn't an official referee whistle. It would be much louder, right? But some people see God like that. You just sinned. You told a lie. You thought an evil thought. Sinners, 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 right? It's annoying, isn't it? 
It's really annoying, and it's damaging to see God that way. This idea of a gotcha God, a God that's just waiting for you to sin and mess up. Oh, you stepped outside of my boundaries. Gotcha. Oh, you violated my commandments. Gotcha. That God doesn't exist. You don't meet that God anywhere in Scripture, not in the Old Testament. Some people think, well, the Old Testament God, he was kind of like that. No, not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. The idea that God is some kind of referee blowing his whistle, calling you out, that's, that, that is a fiction. That God does not exist. When you go, when you actually go to this book, and we're reading this book, I'm so excited that so many of you expressed an interest in doing this year-long Bible reading thing that we're going to start next year. Thank you for your excitement over that. Thank you for your enthusiasm over that. What, are you laughing? No, we do have a few people who are actually excited about it. I'll take it. I'll take the one clap and the one yeah, yeah. But what I'm so excited about is that for years... I've been trying to tell you what this thing is, what this collection of texts is all about. It's not just like, oh, it's an instruction book, it's a history book. It's, this is God revealing himself to us. And when you meet this God, you learn that he's not the God of religion and he's not the gotcha God. And all throughout Scripture, I mean, imagine, listen, listen, can we just try to see this whole issue from God's perspective? I mean, he's got to try to explain himself. This marvelous, wondrous, inexplainable, infinite being who has no boundaries and no limits. No, he's got to try to explain himself to you and me. What a task he has. And so all throughout both Old and New Testament, all throughout the Scripture, there are these ideas, these glimpses, these reflections, these stories of God that help us understand what he's about. And today, my mom read for us. That's my mom, by the way. If those of you who are new to our church, it was my mom who read Scripture. She read for us a scripture passage, just a small section of a passage from Luke 15, a small section from a, from a story that Jesus told, a parable Jesus told. We often call, call this story the, the story of the prodigal son or the story of the lost son. And even if you've never spent any time in a church setting or a Christian setting, you've probably heard that term, prodigal, prodigal son, all right? A lot of us Christians heard that term. We have no idea what it means, but we know there's a story of a prodigal son. By the way, prodigal, you know what that means? It just means like lavish, excessive, wild spending over the top, Right? And so we hear that story of the lost son, the prodigal son. And what I'm going to do today is I want to read you some more of that passage, okay? And so if you have a Bible with you, if you have it on your phone or your tablet or whatever you have or on your laptop, anybody bring a laptop in today? If you have your, some way to access Scripture with you today, I want to encourage you to look up Luke chapter 15 because we're going to read a little bit more of this passage. We're going to read the story of the prodigal son. Now, I would encourage you, because I always do this, I would encourage you, guess what I'm going to say, to read this whole chapter in its entirety today, okay? It's short. It's not good. You can get it in before kickoff, right? Plenty of time. Game starts at what? One? Something? Okay. You got time to read this whole chapter today, all right? So I would encourage you to do that. But I'm going to focus in, on, because there's three parables Jesus tells. I don't want to give everything away. There's three parables Jesus tells. And so let's take a look. I'm going to start with the first verse of chapter 15, just to kind of set the stage here. It says, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisee and the teachers of the law muttered. They muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What does this guy think he's doing? What's the story here? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. So they're muttering to themselves. And one of the things that you see with Jesus is because he's God and because he knows everything, even as people are kind of complaining off to the side, even as people are muttering, even as people are just thinking the complaints in their heart, he calls them out on it. Isn't that scary? (laughs) 
And so he addresses their muttering. And so he attempts to answer this question because the question is, what is this man supposed to be a holy man, supposed to be a man of God? There's some rumors that he might even be the Messiah. Well, if he is, what is he doing hanging out with people like this? That's the question that they had. That's the question that they had. And so Jesus tells three stories, three parables, three works of fiction. I mean, Jesus was a wonderful storyteller. He could have taught a creative writing class. He was excellent. He just had these ways of connecting these stories and teaching through these stories. So he tells three stories to explain what he was up to, to explain why he was there meeting with sinners. By the way, that term sinners, when you come across that word sinners in the, in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, when you read that term, it's referring to a specific group of people not just regular old garden variety sinners like me and you, but it was referring to a specific group of people, these people who were, who were Jewish by their birthright, ethnically Jewish, children of Israel, right? Except they had given up on the God of Israel. They walked away from all the rituals, walked away from the religion, walked away from the practice. They were still had the Jewish bloodline, absolutely, but they were just kind of done. And there were a lot of different reasons why they were done, but they were done. So those were the sinners, and there's the group of people that Jesus is meeting with. And so again, he tells these three parables, and he closes with the big, it's a big closer, man. He closes with this story of the lost son or the prodigal son. Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Let me stop right there, okay? When you're reading this chapter later today by yourself, look up your study notes. You can cross-reference all this stuff. I'm just going to give you some information right up front who these people are and who these characters represent, okay? So we don't have any confusion later on. There's a father, two sons, father, older son, younger son. Here's who these people are. Father is God. Father is God. And so Jesus is teaching us something about God. The older son, the older son represents the righteous people who were there, the Pharisees, the very people who were asking Jesus the question, what are you up to? The very people who were muttering, what are you doing? Okay, and so the older son, that's that kind of the, the religious type or the righteous type or the people thought they could make themselves righteous through following the rules and being obedient to all the rules, Right? And the younger son represents the other group of people who are right there, the sinners, okay? And so Jesus is telling the story, and he's making these comparisons. He's using these characters to describe each of these people. And it's really wild because, like, they're all right there. And this story of the prodigal son, it's not like one of Because sometimes he does these really kind of clandestine, ooh, this is mysterious, what are you talking about? This is pretty darn overt, Okay? And so here you have Jesus is talking about the very, okay, I, do you think this is interesting? I do. It's like he's talking about him because he is God, right? So he's talking about himself and the very people who are there. All right, let's, let's move on. We're like a verse in or less than. Let's move on, okay? There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And so how it worked, and it's similar today, and so this, this man, for some reason, made some money. He was a wealthy man. He had an estate, not just a little bit of property. He had an estate. And so the younger son says to his dad, listen, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Just give me my share, okay? And you have to realize it's so, it's so tempting to read this fast. It's so tempting to breeze through these details. Stop, pause, take this in, what that would be like. The younger son says, Dad, I'd rather you were dead and I was wealthy, okay? The younger son says, Dad, I'm tired of living under your roof and under your rule. I'm tired of it. I don't want to live in your house. I don't want to live according to your rules anymore. I want freedom. Sweet freedom, baby. Sell your stuff. Give me my share. Adios. 
And for some reason, the father, who's the father in the story? Who is he again? Oh, good, okay, yeah, right. God, for some reason, God says, okay, all right, I'll do just that. Now, it's not like he could just go to the bank and say, I'd like to make a withdrawal. I mean, in those days, banks didn't work quite the same way, and all your, your wealth was pretty much tied up in your stuff, what you had. So he had to sell. It was a big deal. He had to sell off his stuff and then say, okay, here's your share. Go on your way. All right, what happens next? <clears throat> so this happens. He goes on his way. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there, what did he do with his freedom? What did he do with his wealth? And there squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay, spending, you know, partying, living it up, you know, another round of drinks on me. I've got my, you know, I've got money from my dad. Let's do this thing. Well, if you're foolish with your money, hey, aren't we talking about money in October? Anyway, we'll foreshadow. If you're foolish with your money, it's not going to last. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how much you have. If you're not wise with it, if you're foolish with it, if you're not honoring God with it, it will slip right through your fingers. What's the saying? A fool and his money are easily parted, right? And so that's what happens. Doesn't invest it. Says, okay, I'm going to start my own little business. I'm going to, nope. Ruins it. You know, it, it, he's all out of money. Spends it on foolish stuff. Later on, we learn a little bit like what he's spending on. He's spending it on prostitutes. He's spending it on all kinds of things you shouldn't be spending your money on. Wild living. After he had spent everything, what do you do? Things got worse. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. What do you do in that situation? Okay. He's got some options. Well, you know, he could have just gone back to his dad at that point and said, hey, dad, listen, I ran out of money. Can you write me another check? Could have. But he doesn't. Why not? Was he embarrassed? Did he realize that was wrong? Was he too proud to go back home? I don't know. It's just a story. I don't know. But he doesn't. So he finds himself in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He gets himself a job. Who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Now you might be thinking, okay, feeding pigs, whatever. It's not a job I would want, but I could do it, whatever. It's fine. Sends him out to feed pigs. Of course, to the audience Jesus was speaking to, this was a disgusting job. Pigs were unclean animals. You know, an Israelite would never do this kind of thing. It would make themselves unclean. And so this is what this guy is doing. He said, okay. He ends up in this situation. i got to find a job. I'll go feed these pigs. So he's doing the lowliest of low work here. That's what he does. And i got to be honest, I kind of respect the younger son for doing that. Right? Go on out there. Get yourself a job. you got to do this now. Right? So he does this. He's feeding pigs. Verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. Can you imagine being so hungry? Like, oh, if I could just grab me a nice bowl of this pig slop. Ooh, yeah. That's how hungry he was. I mean, the people take the peas out of the pods. They eat the peas. Throw, uh, give, them the, give them the pods to the pigs. And he was hungry. Verse 17. Here's where it picks up in your bulletin. Don't miss verse 17. It's important. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. When he realized the predicament he had gotten himself into when he realized how far he'd stray from his father's house and his father's way. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? What are we learning more about Father God? The servants of the Father who represents God. He, the servants of the Father receive so much that they have leftovers. Oh, I'll take this little bit of food and that's going to... No, they have leftovers. Their cup is full and runneth over, Right? That's what it's like to be a servant in Father God's house. He's coming back to his senses. 
how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. And so he comes up with a plan. I will set out and go back to my father. And then he starts rehearsing his apology. He starts rehearsing his speech and say to him, Father, I have sinned. Father, I have sinned. What's going on here? We Christians have a word for it because we have a word for everything. It's repentance. True heart-level repentance. Father, I have sinned. Hey, Dad, I messed up. Could I have a few more bucks? No, no. That's not repentance. That's not coming to your senses. He's come to his senses. He's realized who he is and what he's done and what he's become. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Guess what? He's not wrong. He's not worthy to be called the son of the Father, right? None of us in this room are worthy to be called children of God, and yet God in his great love and compassion and grace towards us wants us to be his children. He's made it possible for us to be his children in Jesus Christ, not because we've earned it, but because Jesus made it possible. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so that's the speech. That's the repentance. That's what he's going to say. All right, church, pray for me. I get emotional with this one. This is just like, oh, I'm weird like that. Here we go. So he sets off. He's, gonna, he's got a speech ready. He's going to go see his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How? How? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How? Because he was waiting and he was watching. This is our God. He's the father that stands on the porch waiting, watching for us to return to him. He's not blowing the whistle. Rule breaker, rule breaker, rule breaker. Watching and waiting. Sees him a long way off and was filled with compassion for him. Our God is the God of compassion. Filled with compassion for him and ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him, okay? Let's, okay, you, you got to visualize this stuff, all right? You got to see this unfolding, all right? Back in those days, and it's kind of the same now. I mean, running was not a dignified thing to do. It just wasn't. I mean, children would run, sometimes the women, but men with wealth, they wouldn't run. You'd have to gather up your robes and kind of, I'm coming, I'm coming, right? There's a little visual to hang on to. This is our God. I'm coming, I'm coming, you know? It's not about being dignified, runs. Why? Because he loves. He's compassionate. He loves his son. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son doesn't even finish his prepared speech. He doesn't get out his full apology before the father interjects. Father God, knows the heart of his children. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows the heart of all people. So he interjects. And so what Father God knows is that there's true, heart-level, sincere repentance here, that this son really has come to his senses. Verse 22, again, the father interrupts, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began 
to celebrate. This is the dynamic. This is Father God and how he responds to us. I do want to quickly point out something to you here, okay? Now, in a few weeks, we're going to close out this series, in just a couple weeks, with the, the, the Anything Goes God. Have you been reading your bulletin? So that's the last one in this series, and Pastor Sean is going to preach that message for us, okay? So I don't want to give too much away where you're going with this. But there's something important to notice. Father God does not enable sinfulness. He didn't show up to the pigsty and say, let me write you another check. Let me enable your sinful lifestyle. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not Father God. When there's true repentance, there can be restoration, right? Where there is repentance, there is restoration. But that's a requirement, and that's what happens here. I didn't give too much. Did I give too much away? We're good. Okay. Tune in a couple weeks from now. You hear the rest. And so that's, that's Father God. They're celebrating. Now, I need to finish this story because it's so good, okay? Meanwhile, the older son, what's his response to all this? The older son, the religious, he represents the Pharisees, the priests, the people who thought they were righteous, the people who lived out all the religious stuff, the people who kept the rules, the rule followers. The older brother became angry. I'm sorry, I skipped some stuff. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? It's the same question that the Pharisees had, right? What's going on? What are we doing here, Jesus? What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's like, oh, my brother's back. I'm so glad that he has found his way back home to God. I'm so glad that he's been restored. No, he's angry. He's confused, maybe even jealous. Older brother became angry, refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, pleaded, making that case, pleading with him. Listen, son, don't you? Pleading, look. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never once had to blow the whistle on me. I got no yellow cards the entire time I've lived under your roof. I always do what you say. I mean, I don't know what was going on in this guy's heart, but he always did the external thing. Never disobeyed your orders yet. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. How come he gets a party and I don't? To paraphrase, if you have more, those of you who are parents, if you have more than one child, you've seen this kind of thing before, right? Okay. But this, verse, verse 30, he's not done. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, here's what God says. My son, the father said, you, have all, you, have, hmm, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Again, he was lost and is found. Now, here's something I didn't re- realize about this parable until I read the book by Tim Keller. There's a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. You ever hear this book? Tim Keller, look him up on YouTube. He's got some good stuff, all right? It's a book called The Prodigal God. I never realized this until I read this book. This story doesn't have an ending. Do you realize that? So what's the older brother going to do, right? Is he going to go in and celebrate? Is he going to stay out and sulk? That's it. And I like to imagine, like, you know, I visualize these. I like to imagine that Jesus told the story. Everybody was waiting for the ending. is like, okay, and just kind of walked away. Like, is that how the story ends? What's up with this older brother? What's going to happen, right? I mean, imagine, I don't know that that's how it happened, but imagine that scenario that he leaves and we've got younger brother types and older brother types just kind of staring at each other like, what do we do now, right? And I guess for those of you who are Christians, I think we have some Christians here today. For those of you who are Christians, for those of you who, who really earnestly, 
out of great desires, try and follow all the rules. Thank God for you. Praise God for you. But be careful not to look down on those younger brother types. Be careful not to let your heart grow cold and be jealous of them and angry towards them or whatever it is. Be careful. You need to be compassionate because Father God is compassionate. That's the God that we have. That's the God that we're, you know, when you gather here on a Sunday morning and we sing these songs, we're singing to this God, the God of compassion, not the gotcha God that's out to get you, that's looking for rule violations. It's the God that's filled with compassion. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do with the gotcha God? What do we need to do with the God that blows the whistle? Sinner, you're bad, you're wrong, knock it off. What do we need to do with this guy? We need to get rid of him. Could you throw that out for me? Thanks. We need to get rid of him because he's getting in the way. He's getting in the way. You've got, you know this, right? You've got friends. You've got coworkers. You've got family members. You've got neighbors who are not with you right now. Why? Because they've gotten the impression that the God of the Bible is the God you got. He's not. We need to tear down this false God. We need to tear down this false God. We need to get rid of it so that people can find the real God, the God of love, the God of compassion, the God that picks up his robes and runs towards us. That's the God that your friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors need to meet. So what what can we do about that? That's the question. First thing is this. Be careful, Christians. Be careful in how you present Jesus. Be careful in how you live out your life as an ambassador of Jesus Christ because whether you're comfortable with it or not, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Be careful that people don't get the wrong idea from you. Be careful. Watch your criticism. Watch it. Watch it, right? I'm not suggesting you just let people go and live their lives and do whatever, but be careful with your criticism, right? Watch your being judgmental because you don't want to give people the impression that God is like that. And listen, here's something we all know. Christians... Man, we can be so stinking critical of each other, can't we? Oh, you used that term incorrectly. That's not right. That's a Christian, that's a theological term, and you've just used, okay. Oh, you haven't read that book. Anybody who's a Christian will have read that book, right? Oh, you don't listen to Caleb. If you're a really Christian, you listen to Caleb, right? Right? You guys gave me a hard time for that too, right? Just watch out because God, how much does he value these things? What God values What is it? It's what's going on sincerely in your hearts. Watch out because people look at you and you might be the only reflection of God in their lives. Watch out how you live. Show people what God is like. You need to be filled with compassion and love. It needs to just ooze out of you, right? That's what people need to see. That's what people need to experience because that reflects who God is and what he's all about. Our God is not the gotcha God. He's the God of love. He's the God of compassion. He's the God of grace. Now, some of you in this room, some of us Christians feel kind of timid about, well, I don't want to share my faith because, you know, I feel like I don't want to get in those conversations. Listen, listen, if you're trying to share stories of the gotcha guy with somebody else, I wouldn't want to share my faith either, right? If that's your idea of well, it's God, and you got to follow these rules, and I don't really feel like talking about it. But this God, how can you not be excited about sharing information about this God? When you realize this is your God, my goodness gracious. I mean, I get, I get revved up about this. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what God's like. He's like this. He's compassionate. He's running to, towards you. He's loving to you. That's who God 
really is. That's a faith that we can get excited. Aren't you excited about that, God? Really, are you? Are you excited about that, God? I guess. I don't know. I am. Let's get excited about that, God. That's the God that we can share with the people in our lives. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will continue to do just that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for the many ways that you have revealed to us who you are, who Father God is, what you value, what's important to you. Father God, thank you for being the the God that runs towards us, the God that, that waits on the porch for us, the God that's filled with compassion and grace. Father God, be with each one of us now. Help us to really grab onto this concept of who you are, the God of compassion. Father God, allow us to be excited about who you are. Allow us to to have that fire inside of us, that, that wonderful fire of the Holy Spirit that we would actually want to share you with other people, the real you, God. Father God, we pray. We pray that the people in our lives who don't yet know you, they they would get to know you through us, through us as individuals and through us as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.